Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. the center of the galaxy this is the four center podcast feed and this particular episode is one of our deep dive episodes we're gonna dive deep into dex's diner of wisdom and i'm excited to go to there my name is joseph scrimshaw i'm ken napsock and this episode has been six years in the making for us <laughs> everything we've done before this on four center has led to this moment i can't this is destiny isn't it destiny we've finally decided to embrace our destiny uh we will get into exactly what this is this is one of our scene by scene episodes we've been doing a lot of these uh where we just really examine everything about a scene the uh the characters the ideas but also like the environment and the music and all that stuff and we're really happy to take that level 
of examination yeah. to Dex's Diner. But first, we want to let you know, as always, that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week, we are recommending Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray. It is another story in which I believe Obi-Wan Kenobi eats or drinks something. I don't remember the details, but it's a great Obi-Wan Kenobi and Qui-Gon Jinn story, so I'm sure there's some dining somewhere in it. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash center for a free audiobook. And Ken, we have another offer. We are not done. We are not done yet. Um, we are have, a, have an offer from the fine folks at Inside Editions, publisher of a ton of great Star Wars books and more. They're offering 35% off across their entire website with a special Force Center code. To get your discount, enter the coupon code FC35 or visit the website with this link, insideeditions.com slash discount slash FC35. I just did that myself last week, and it worked. This week, we're recommending the Inside Editions book, Star Wars Galactic Baking. It is coming out next week, May 4th, and I'm already seeing people with it in their hands. Uh, I have it. Do you want R2-D2 ice cream cake? Then you want to get this (laughs) book because you can learn how to make it yourself. It is a great book, a lot of fun, and helps celebrate uh, all, all aspects of Star Wars in your desserts. Check it out with the code FC35. Yeah, it's a great little book. Uh, I'm having fun, if not cooking from it yet, definitely looking at it in dreaming of making a huge mess in my kitchen. <laughs> so looking forward to that. Let's dive in, Ken, to Dex's Diner of Wisdom. As I said, you know, we've been breaking down these big scenes in Star Wars uh, and just sort of uh, started the tradition of coming up with uh, fun names for them. So we've discussed Ray's Cave of Mirrors, uh, Dooku's Cell of Half-Truths, Palpatine's Box of Lies, Obi-Wan's Hut of Exposition, Palpatine's Lab of Horrors, Luke and Vader's Walkway of Doubt, Kenobi's Campfire of Resolution, that's from Rebels, and now from Attack of the Clones, we are discussing Dex's Diner of Wisdom. (laughs) It's a wide variety, but now as I'm seeing it, I'm seeing uh, my, and perhaps our biases coming out, Eh, it's a lot of Palpatine and Obi-Wan. Hmm. Hmm. How did that happen? Oh, man, I didn't really think about that. I mean, hey, you know what? It is what it is. There's a lot of scenes in Star Wars, but uh, we'll get to all characters. But those are some of the juicier moments. That's right. We're being honest. We're being honest. This particular scene is about three minutes long. It's about three minutes of very controversial 50s diner aesthetic, uh, strong opinions, and Raymond Chandler-esque gumshoe legwork. It is the Star Wars take on diners, droids, and detectives. By the way, that's your best work, sir. That's your best work of all time. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Diners, droids. And detectives, we would all watch that on Disney Plus. I know I got we would. a flavor town for that show. Yes. <laughs> so this scene, I would say, Ken, is not as is central to Star Wars mythos and philosophy as some of the other scenes that we've discussed. But this scene itself is discussed a lot because I think fans seem to love it or hate it. So let's start there. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think that's a fair statement? Do you think fans love it or hate it? Did you hate it back in the day? Uh, do you love it now? Take me into the love hate. Uh, idea of this diner scene i mean i've got friends in my life right now who might listen to this episode and text me rude things um <laughs> and shout out to alex at black series rebels uh, I, uh yes the, for you say it's not key to star wars mythos and philosophy as far as the other scenes we've covered uh yeah total true statement but this might be still one of the more talked about scenes in star wars this comes <laughs> up a lot um it does. And, 
and, and I've grown to love it, but we're going to talk about where I started with that. And even right now, I, our, our friend Brian Ward um, uh, designed an, uh, like an exclusive poster offer on my Patreon page that's me instead of Obi-Wan and Dex just having a great time sitting down at the diner. It's one of my, I got it hanging in my studio here. And then uh, our friend uh, Brian Ward as well. By the way, Brian Ward is a genius. I just bought one of his T Public shirts, which is a Dexter's Diner shirt. Oh. I, I love this scene. I love this character. I love it unironically and ironically. And I don't know which came first. And we're going to talk about that in a second. So, <laughs> uh, but that said, I've also found that I, I don't even try to defend this scene. I don't care to defend it anymore because I love it so much. And the love is real, but yes, this comes up a lot. Um, uh, this absolutely comes up a lot. Some friends of ours or people in the business are just, Hey, you think Star Wars is great, but don't forget they had a fifties diner. in the movie. <laughs> Yeah. So we'll dive into a little bit of, of why we think that is of, of what's that tension there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm curious about your personal experience uh, back in the year, the far distant year of 2002 when young Ken Napsok was sitting in a theater and you realized as soon as we start going to the diner, it's a fifties space diner. Did you have a strong judgment yourself back in the day? I really wish that I was podcasting back then. So I would have, I had a wreck. I would have a record. <laughs> I remember a lot of my thoughts on Phantom Menace, uh, Revenge of the Sith, Attack of the Clones. I remember a lot about it. I've told some of the stories before the movie, me and my friend arguing over the the Jedi, whether the, they're the actual, maybe the bad guys of the galaxy and all those, uh, you know, those conversations they've had before. I don't remember specifically, but that makes me think I did not have a strong negative reaction to it. Uh, I, I really didn't. I, I, of all the things in that movie, and there's some things I don't like in Attack of the Clones, and some of the 3PO humor always stands out to me as something I don't enjoy as, uh, that much. Um, this didn't stand out. And, and a lot of it, we're going to talk about the, 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 the late performer that voiced uh, Dexter. I liked the character. Was it silly? Was it a little stupid? Pulling up his pants and everything. Yeah, I guess, but I don't remember coming out of the theater and going, of all the things in the movie, I definitely didn't like it. Part of it might have been because uh, uh, George Lucas, American Graffiti, and also one of my play- favorite places in Los Angeles, and was somewhere I went regularly back in 2002, was Mel's Diner. And there's mm. three locations, but the one on Sunset, down the street from the comedy store. It's one of my favorite spots. And you go in there, there's pictures of American Graffiti and George Lucas all in there. And Dexter's Diner is is absolutely that. And so you walk in, I just, I, it just made sense to me. I was like, yeah, yeah, this is George, man. This is George having fun. So I, I don't recall having an overly negative opinion back then. Yeah, and this is definitely uh, clearly uh, American Graffiti on his mind with uh, the, the car, uh, the airspeeder right. that Anakin steals matching one of the cars from American uh, Graffiti. Yeah, um, yeah I think... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, Harrison Ford. It's Bob Falfa. Bob oh, Falfa. Yeah. Bob, yeah. Bob Falfa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I'm still waiting for a Star Wars character named Falfa Bob to pop up. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I remember, because there's this great, you know, tension in the prequel era as Attack of the Clones came out, is, is it going to get a little uh, darker? Are we going to kind of dive into a little bit more of who the characters are? How much of the the kind of silly stuff, the the younger sense of humor are we going to get? Or the how much of those kind of jokes that are from the real world, like, uh, like uh, Jar Jar saying, squeeze me. There's mm-hmm. so much tension for that um, as I was sitting down to watch this at a midnight showing. And, and I loved Attack the Clones at that midnight showing while also recognizing a lot of the problems and, you know, would, would mm-hmm. make jokes about them and all that. But I remember as we entered Dex's Diner thinking, oh, no, 
mm-hmm. it's a 50s diner. And I was already at that point of like, eh, it's probably too earthy for me, but also knowing that that was going to be a thing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then even in my very first viewing at that midnight showing, all that went away and I did not give a damn because I loved so much what else was going on in the scene. And that yeah. was just like background noise that it was going to be a thing mm-hmm. that that people felt strongly about. What I loved about it so much and have only come to love it more is uh, this peek into Obi-Wan's day to day life. Yeah, there's so much in Attack of the Clones that that filled out big Star Wars mythology about uh, Boba Fett and finally seeing the clones of the Clone Wars. And oh, look at their armor. It's this mix of Boba Fett and the clones and. Oh, wow. Here's this chain of Padawans in Masters, uh, you know, from Yoda to Dooku to Qui-Gon to Obi-Wan. All this great, great stuff. Oh, Anakin's mother died in his first murderous act as a Tusken Raiders. All this stuff that's like canon with a capital C, uh, you know, capital M mythology. Uh, but what, how, how Attack of the Clones fleshed out Star Wars for me was seeing the Jedi archives, you know, scene mm-hmm. where Obi-Wan might go for a drink and a bite and some information and some, you know, uh, debate <laughs> with mm-hmm. an old pal. It was just so much fleshing out their day-to-day lives that I love seeing that. Because I would sit and wonder, like, you know, what what is Obi-Wan's life like? Mm-hmm. What does he do when he's not on a mission, when he is not being shot at or lectured by the Jedi Council? What is he up to? <laughs> And this was the, not only a peek into who Obi-Wan was, how he conducted himself when he wasn't on an actual immediate danger adventure, but also this is what really sets the tone for Obi-Wan as private detective. Um, this is so pulling from a de- detective in film noir. There's a lot of images in Attack of the Clones that are directly uh, film noir. But this is very, very specifically uh, like Raymond Chandler, Philip Marlowe of, hey, I got somebody uh, on the other side of town who maybe people will judge, uh, do a quick look. He's just a greasy spoon, uh, you know, diner owner, chef. He doesn't know anything, but I know he's a source for real information. And that's where I get the first piece of the puzzle. Like I've been a big fan. I've read a lot of um, Raymond Chandler and a lot of the... uh, the uh, detective books of that era. And I just loved that mashup with Star Wars and it made perfect sense to me. Yeah. And, and I go back to one of our like early, early Star Wars ranked uh, episodes. We did like, you know, thing, best reasons to rewatch the prequels, groundbreaking, breaking stuff back in 2015, 2016 kids. Uh, <laughs> and this is one of the things you and I discussed, not only just the scene, but just the idea of Kenobi out and about Kenobi, the, the private investigator Kenobi uh, just kind of, Figuring things out, which is something that pops up a lot in the Clone Wars animated series, and I think just part of uh, Kenobi's, an interesting part of Kenobi's character to me. So that all kind of worked. And 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 above all, for me, going back twenty uh, two thousand two, where I would much, I very like you said, I'd make the jokes about this stuff too. It was very hard for me to make fun of this scene because I dex. Any, 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 you know, any, I don't know if the tech stands the test of time. It was groundbreaking at the time. And maybe you you could, you know, put a fresh coat of paint on that tech now. But he's so charming to me. Yes. I just, I know that guy. I've met that guy. Or we've all seen the that character in a movie. And I just, you know, it, it all worked for me. That that just, and it all kind of began with his mustache. <laughs> yeah. For, for the, you know, criticism that uh, the prequels or Attack of the Clones in particular can feel a wooden in the acting style. Like there's nothing wooden uh, about Dexter <laughs> Jetster, right? 
might be the best actor in the series. Awato's yeah. <laughs> got a great moment, uh, some great yeah. moments in uh, Attack of the Clones as well. Uh, yeah, so I, I really loved it because of my deep connection to Obi-Wan and to kind of mm -hmm. this noir perspective. But I've also really, my I think, you were joking at the top that this is uh, six years <laughs> yeah, yeah. build to this is there's a lot of interesting tidbits in the scene it's a very short scene yeah. but almost every line has something that's really interesting to look at and discuss so i think that has only made me like this scene more well yeah it, it, definitely joking and definitely as you know we're, we're speaking the truth here of uh just the way i i take in and view star wars has has uh, grown and matured over the last few years uh you, you've been able to discover new things as well as we dig in and this is actually part of the fun it's a fun challenge uh i don't think there's a ton of throwaway scenes in star wars films i really don't no i think they're all there and they all serve a purpose and some hit more than others and some are stand the test of time more than others totally but this was uh yeah jokes aside but also in truth in every joke i love that we uh finally have get to turn our attention to the scene we talk about so much yeah I, I that's the thing i've been thinking a lot about with the prequels in particular with all of the discussion and debate about them over the years is you know everything is subjective you can dislike every single choice that george lucas made but i think i have a utter respect for it was a choice <laughs> yeah, yeah nothing random uh he made every choice and he made them for reasons is what i feel as a viewer and <laughs> i'm excited it to get into it it's not like George got to set and was like, wait, is this a 50s diner? <laughs> oh, all, right, all right. All right. This is what was available today <laughs> on the back lot. The space 50s <laughs> diner. Yeah. yeah. All right. So what we like to do with these scene by scene episodes is review what's going on leading into the scene as well. So here's a quick summary, Ken. Uh, two attempts have been made on the life of Senator Padme Amidala, who is currently leading the opposition to the Military Creation Act. She opposes the Republic raising an army to respond to the threat of the separatists. She prefers negotiation and believes if you show a fist to the galaxy, you'll get a fist back. Uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin were assigned to guard Padme. And Obi-Wan argues with Anakin in front of Padme, telling him that finding out the identity of her assassin was not the mission. They're just there to protect her. And yet Obi-Wan throws himself out of Padme's bedroom window to pursue the assassins. This leads the Jedi to Zam Wessel, who is killed with a toxic dart. The Jedi Council then gives Obi-Wan the official assignment to play detective and find out who is trying to assassinate Padme and why. In his pursuit of knowledge, Obi-Wan turns to his old friend, Dexter Jetster. So that's what's going on to set up this scene. Ken, what do you think Obi-Wan is feeling about this mission as this scene begins? Is he, is he happy to be on it? Is it important to him? Is it just another mission? What do you imagine? He is thrilled. You see it in his face a bit. Uh, not even before the Dexter scene, because it's the the goodbye scene. You got uh, was it Rose Byrne as uh, Dorme. Dorme, thank you. Uh, that whole scene. You know, he's sending Anakin off. Which maybe looking back, he should question why. You know, Palpatine was like, maybe Anakin can go uh, hang out with her. Especially, you know, in canon now, we know. Obi-Wan's like, hmm, Satine. <laughs> um, but that aside, we didn't know that story existed yet. I think he's excited. I think he's thrilled. Uh, Kenobi has uh, what I sometimes refer to as that first responder blood where, you, yeah, you're sitting around on a boring Tuesday going, man, I hope a car explodes because I want to go run to it because that's why <laughs> I chose this job, right? That's why I'm here. Uh, and I think um, – I think this is something he enjoys. And I think I, this is head, this is total head cannon, by the way. I'm not, I'm not digging into stuff here, but I, I think, I think in his mind, he's like, I cannot wait to go to Dex. 
and, 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 you know, he might, the, 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 the information on the, the, the saber dart might not have already been, you know, he's already kind of working on things, but I, I think he's excited. Yeah, no, I like this a lot. That scene beforehand really does set up that he is, he's worried about Anakin a couple scenes, yep. you know, he talks to uh, Yoda and Mace about it. And then he's got that scene uh, with Typho where like, uh, I'd be more worried about uh, what she's going to do. Uh, mm-hmm. Paraphrasing there. So I think he is, um, I think he's concerned about Anakin, but I think he's, you know, trying to follow Qui-Gon's wisdom uh, to keep his mind on the now, the present, the living force. Um, I think he, this is also a headcanon, right? He, he went straight from Padawan to Jedi Knight to immediately training Anakin. And, he, you know, he didn't right. have a lot of time to be a knight who just went and did their missions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's interesting questioning canon of, like, how many missions has he been on just by himself? Or is Anakin always with him, you know? Right. Uh, I imagine he's gone on a few. But I wonder if this is, like, he's he is concerned about Anakin, but he's trying to be a Jedi about it. But he is happy to have a mission <laughs> yeah. by himself to take care of. Um and I think there's a real energy in this film and in his whole detective job here that he is a Jedi who believes in the order, questions them from time to time, but in general believes the council is wise and trying to do the right thing. And he's happy to get his orders and go do them. And I think there is this great energy of I want I just want to do my job. I'm not I want and my job is finding out the truth. And I do want to find out the truth. I'm not thrilled about the excitement. I don't want to be in any space battles. I'm happy to go talk to Dex. I just want to get this done. And it's really interesting also for me to think about um, what he thinks his plot is. You know, there's this uh, that great conversation earlier when uh, Padme is being used as bait, and uh, Zam Wessel's uh, Cahoons are uh, are in the bedroom, and they're and Obi Wan is kind of lecturing Anakin about uh, politicians, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and whether to trust them. And so I think there is this possibility in, in Obi Wan's mind when he's starting out on this mission of like, you know, Padme is a bold senator, and you know she's got a, a lot of history even at her young age, and there's a lot of people who might want to kill her. This is just kind of uh, some light political intrigue. And the more he uncovers, it's this grand scope, and he discovers Dooku's involvement, and it becomes more personal. But I like to think at, at this point, he's just like, I'm going to find some uh, random uh, person. She's pissed off. It's Not a uncover Tuesday. a galactic plot. Yeah, it's a Tuesday. Um, first of all, I love you've kind of painted uh, uh, Obi-Wan as having some of that dad uh, on a conference weekend energy of like the kids are gone. I, the, you know, the, the, I love the wife, but I it's me and some uh, buffet food and a hotel. This is great. Let's get to it. I haven't done this in years, right? Uh, and I, I could see the Obi-Wan going, okay, the, the kid Anakin's out. I'm going to, oh, I got a job to do. This is great. Me in the road. Me in the road. <laughs> yep. Just me and my robe in my road. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's dig into the scene from there, Ken. Uh, mm-hmm. We get the establishing shots of a sunny day on an upper level of Coruscant in the Cocoa Town District, uh, which used to be a prosperous industrial district, but it's fallen on some harder times. Uh, then we see the diner itself. It's an almost uh, train car like box of yeah. chrome with crimson highlights and a neon sign in the window. We see inside, it's a close-up of Flo, or a WA-7, as she yells, someone to see a honey Jedi by the looks of him. And the camera whips across the diner. We see red leather booths, a bar with red stools, and into the circular window into the kitchen. 
we see chef and owner Dexter Jetster in a grubby white cook's uniform and server Hermione Bagua, a blonde woman in a blue dress with gold hoop earrings, perhaps the most aggressively real-world-looking character in all of Star Wars. So those are our opening moments where we see the diner uh, in its vibe. Let's discuss the whole diner vibe. Uh, Is it too Earth-like? Why or why not? You know, why do you think the 50s diner is such a negative for some fans? I mean, look, I'll say, I, yes, it is, it is too earth like for many folks. Uh, it is, it is so direct. It is so, again, American graffiti. I mean, you literally, you're describing the interior of Mel's drive in on Sunset, like, or <laughs> any location. Like, you're literally describing it. Uh, and we've all seen that it. it's, it's any diner in anywhere USA, right? So, yeah, is it too earth like? Yeah, but. Number one, the spirit of whimsy, but two, I I go back to the cantina. Like we all got introduced to a bar with jazz musicians jamming, kid asking for a drink, a bar fight. That was that is so normal. Take away the aliens, it's a bar scene. Yeah, and I mean down the street. In yeah, it it has some physical similarities to Rick's bar in Casablanca. Um, yes. I just think that people who grew up with it uh, were not experts on what bars look like all across the world. <laughs> so it felt a little bit more alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, so again, like I, I, this is, I don't defend a lot of that. I don't, I don't want to even spend the time and energy out in the public defending George's choice to do it. I, but I think it represents a lot of, um, um, it, it immediately evokes the image of where you go to hang out, where everybody knows your name, uh, where, you know, Obi-Wan hasn't been there in a while, which is why Flo's like, hey, someone's here. But he's like, Obi-Wan, uh, who knows when, you know, WA7 started her shift there or something. Um, but that immediately evokes just like, hey, this is a place you go that's comfortable and safe and familiar and and and, and rewarding. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I think that the the uh, long term and I think ongoing debate in Star Wars about what are elements that are too clearly Earth so they take you out of the fantasy is always going to be this really fascinating subjective debate, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we see it is you know as recently as things with the Last Jedi of you know some people uh, were really taken out by uh, Poe saying big ass door, right? That's too mm-hmm. Earth like. Um, so that's right. always just going to be a discussion of the the balance of what is inspired by Earth but feels, you know, like a galaxy far, far away or what is just like that is too Earth-like. And yeah. clearly for a, a lot of uh, people, the the diner aesthetic is just too, that is Earth. Um, yeah. And I think, I you know, I don't know, I haven't done an actual survey. The people that I have heard be the most viscerally uh disliking it uh are people who grew up with the original trilogy and it it's really fascinating to me we did that a whole episode of a deep dive show a while back about the balance between fantasy and realism Mm -hmm. in star wars and the original trilogy really emphasizes the fantasy like you know there's a government because they kind of talk about it in the background but we spend all the time with the with the mythical with the hero with the you know, enchanted mm-hmm. blade, basically, you know, uh, and that realism is kind of there running in the background, but it's not, you know, really in your face. And 
the prequels yeah. are all about building up realism, right? It's about the the much debated, you know, uh, tax tax roots is how we, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, debates about tax roots is how we kick off the entire prequel series. And I think this is just like a scene that absolutely puts that debate of fantasy versus realism under a microscope. This is a place that is not only extremely Earth-like in its design, it's a place that's really adding realism to the world of Star Wars of, hey, you know, people got to eat. Coruscant's uh, a big city. Uh, this is a greasy spoon diner. And of course, uh, a Jedi might have a contact that exists at a greasy spoon diner. It's all very, very uh, world building. And, yeah. and that all of that is going to end up kind of tipping the scale away from, you know, ambiguous fantasy to a little bit more realism. Every detail you add brings it a little bit more into if Star Wars takes place in a galaxy far, far away a long uh, time ago. Uh, but it's a real, you know, world that functions in a lot of the ways that we would expect the real world to. But I think there's something about this that that really attacks people who love the original trilogy because it took them to an unbelievable romantic fantastic world far away mm -hmm. with bizarre aliens i think feel shoved out of that world by the diner which is which is a, a fair feeling I, I i get and i think we all have our our little um you know boundaries that can you know you mentioned the big ass door I, it's still not one of my favorite i don't get hung up on it but i get that I think some of this scene, because it's so specific, down to the club sandwiches that he's serving that are not quite bacon and turkey. There's something else there, but they're club sandwiches. Right. And there's like a coffee decanter that's just like, yeah, that's that's how that's where you get coffee from. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I, I get it much and I can I can look at the cantina. Um, you know, by the way, I can, you know, I can look at uh, Aunt Peru using Tupperware from a Tupperware party in the 70s to, to serve blue milk. <laughs> Um, I don't, but I don't, I don't hold that against anyone who doesn't like the scene. Like, I'm not saying that to be like, whatever you did, you didn't like, uh, did you like blue milk? Then you should like Dexter. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it is all part of what George has kind of always done. What I think it's celebrated. And, and that does, I think you're right to dig deep and, and get a little serious with Joseph. It, it does. It drop kicks you out of the reality a little bit. Um, when the moment you walk in and it's everything, you're like, I've been there. I don't want to feel like I've been there in Star Wars. I think that's fair. I just also, also think it's really fun. Yeah. And to me, looking at it uh, more closely, just like the design and the aesthetic, like, yeah, there's so much. There's, you know, that little tray on the uh, the counter uh, that that is holding, so it looks like cake or pie or cookies. It spins by yep. really fast. But like, there are all those details that are like, yes, this is exactly a diner down to the accent of the droid, right? Um, right. But there's a lot of details in the design that are, you know, spacey and different. And I don't feel like I, I kind of feel like I've been to that diner, but I would still pay good money to go to an actual recreation of <laughs> Dex's yeah. diner. But I, I, th the reason I wanted to discuss that whole fantasy versus realism thing to that degree is I think it's a great example of we, we can so often just default to is it good or is it bad? Yes, But the truth is we have strong subjective reactions to it for different reasons. And I'm much more interested in having a conversation with somebody who will say, I really love Star Wars when it is transporting me to an entirely different reality and it looks too much like Earth, uh, it, it, then, it's, then it bugs me. Because then now it's a conversation about tastes and preferences and I can learn something about the other person rather than mm -hmm. somebody just going, 
Attack of the Clones is a bad movie because there's a 50s diner. <laughs> right. And and then I'd say, great, but you're also missing out on one of the greatest characters of all time. In <laughs> one of the greatest mustaches <laughs> in Star Wars. Uh, I want to talk about some other details of just the aesthetic of the diner. You touched on this, but um, I, I think the diner does really evoke absolutely that location. Uh, but also those the feelings that mm-hmm. different people might have about a greasy spoon diner like this. How do you think this aesthetic helps tell the story? It, 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 it's, it's exactly. Yeah. We talked about earlier, just the comfort, the place to go. Uh, but it's a place of trust by the way. And, and, and for Obi-Wan um, uh, to go there, to know that not only he can get the information, but that he can talk about this. This is a Jedi going, Hey, someone was, uh, they attempted to kill someone. <laughs> I need to find out why. And I just love what that says about Dex, uh, Dexter, uh, Obi-Wan, and, and and where he is in the story right now as he starts to uncover it. And then just the, uh, the everyday life, the, 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 the club sandwiches being served and eaten means these are, the, these are the citizens of the galaxy. And this is what Obi-Wan is out there trying to protect, uh, who he's trying to protect. And I think it all kind of starts with that. Is is that big and grandiose for this 50s diner in Star Wars? Yeah, maybe a little bit. But I think when you pause and really look at it, it, it that starts to jump out. That's part of the choice. Yeah, I don't think it's it, it's diving too deep. I think when you anything that's designed in a film, the desire and the hope is that it will evoke specific emotions. And uh, obviously, for some people, the emotion it evoked is that's too Earth-like. I don't want it, <laughs> which right. is fine. But for me, what it evokes is exactly what you're talking about. I think in the real world, a greasy spoon diner, especially one that's been there for a long time, is coded as being down to earth, honest, consistent, reliable. Everybody's welcome, but it's kind of there for working folks who are down to earth and reliable. So yeah. it evokes all those emotions and it becomes this direct contrast to kind of the sanctity and hubris of the Jedi temple, right? There um, it is. Yep. You know, there's the deleted scene where he goes to the robots, um, the, mm-hmm. the, the droids, and they, they say, Oh no, there's, this doesn't come from any specific culture. And Obi-Wan even has it like, I know who to bring this to, but even without the deleted scene, we next cut to the library. Which uh, the the Jedi archives, which I absolutely love, uh, but we cut immediately to the that clean, controlled environment and the hubris of Jocasta Nu of like the if the Camino's not in the archives and it doesn't exist. Uh, mm-hmm. So we get this mm-hmm. really contrast um, that I think Greasy Spoon provides all these these feelings of uh, down to earth, reliable, and yeah. I, I would also just uh, go out on a limb and argue a little bit that I think. For some people, a 50s diner can be like, there's the kind of uh, restaurants I've been to that are like the 50s diner that are that are evoking sort of a, you know, a 50s that never was. It's, you know, it's sure. it's the, the happy days version of the, the, the 50s, right? And it's kind of like a, a little bit of like, there can be ones that have like a, a cheap tourist trap, you know, vibe of like, hey, mm-hmm. come on and eat. We've got a picture of James Dean, you know, that kind of vibe. Yeah, which is also Mel's on Sunset, and I've bought all their shirts. Yes. <laughs> but I would also argue that that the this is in particular the shape of it mm-hmm. is very much like the diner in an old train car. Yep. In particular, like like there's uh, Carney's in in Los Angeles or uh, mm-hmm. back in uh, in Minnesota. There's Mickey's Diner in St. Paul, and those are coded as something older. 
right? Because they are they're an older style restaurant that's living inside of uh, these aesthetically cool, you know, train cars or subway cars that had been chucked into the dustbin of history. But this one's clinging on is a place mm-hmm. for people to gather and eat uh, mm-hmm. and have community. So there is something about even within it looking like a 50s diner. To me, it looks like this. What is to me in, 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 the, in our real earth world, something from the past that has been there for a long time and is clinging to existence, which gives it a different flavor. Yeah. And I look, I guess at this point I should disclose, I love these places in, in the real world. Like I, I am, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many business meetings I've had at this place called Coral Cafe in Burbank, which is a 24 hour diner. Uh, I think you, to be a waiter there, you have to start at age 50. Um, <laughs> Not 100% true. Uh, there's a place called NoHo Diner. There's Lancers. There's Talleyrand. There's all these places around LA. Uh, and again, I keep saying Mel's and Sunset because it is it is designed um, to be a city yes. center. Um, I love these actual diners. I go there because I feel safe. I, there's nothing pretentious about them. Uh, there was one time I was there at the NoHo Diner having breakfast, and, and, a, and a young woman was applying, and, and they asked her, "Why are you applying here?" Kind of like, "Hey." Honey, why are you applying here? There's a bunch of, and she's like, because I'm tired of working at clubs where I'm sexually harassed every day, where I'm just, it's a grind. It is, it's vanity. I, I just want a job. Me and my husband live around the corner and I just want to work. And I just, I remember thinking, yeah, that's what this, that's what this is. This yeah. is a home. This is home. And it's the center of our little galaxy here. And there's regulars that come in and hey, Merle, Merle's got his omelet. And, and, and I, I, I'm, I draw I'm drawn towards that. And, and that's why I think I love this scene too. I, I guess I have to disclose that I'm just predisposed, predisposed to diners uh, and a good omelet, but also just the, the, the able, the ability to just communicate with someone who's just there to hear you. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, you know, uh, I love going to Depars in LA yeah. or even, this is even a little bit of like a, not Bob's big boy, but Dex's big boy vibe, you know, like Bob's big boy has a big counter and it's, you know, it's been there forever and is definitely evoking the past, you know? Yeah. Awesome. So we like the diner. That's what that comes down to. Uh, yeah. Would you rather be waited on by Flo or Hermione Bagua? All right. This is where Ken gets weirdly real with Star Wars. Uh, at the time of this movie, uh, Hermione Bagua, because uh, in my 20s, I was one of those, uh, and I'll say it, I'll call myself a sad sack who just uh, fell in love with every waitress that said hello because I just, I didn't have, I wasn't good socially. Um, and I was that guy at the beginning of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind when Jim Carrey's character is like, why do I fall in love with every woman that says hello? Like, I, that was me. And by the way, if that's you out there listening, don't be that. Okay. Uh, don't be that. Uh, um, but I get it. And so there would have been a point where I'd have been like, hi, Hermione. And I would have left her a 20 credit tip on a five credit meal. Uh, and it's, you know, and she would have taken it and gone on and lived her life as she should. Uh, but now I'm at the point where I, number one, both are fine, but flow. Cause you know, flow ain't going to mess up that much. Oh, you know, Hermione, I'm not saying you're going to mess up, but I'm just saying flow. Uh, I'm just there for the comfort, uh, the professionalism and, uh, and the know-how. Yeah. I think even, even if I had the opportunity to be waited on by an actual droid, I would still want to be waited on by, by Hermione Bagwell. Yeah, yeah. This is just one of those, you know, you and I go deep on Star Wars, but we always want to respect just like the fun and the mm-hmm. silliness of Star Wars too. And we just talked for a long time about why this 50s diner is designed the way it was and the meaning of it. And we're going to get more into that. But I love that also with all of that, there can just be, a total 100% earth human, just a perfectly cast blonde woman 
in a blue dress with gold hoop earrings. Just, I work here too. And, you know, just that's just one of those uh, for me, the, the silly fun of Star Wars of, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know the name Hermione Bagwa because I want to know the name of that character. Yeah. I want to get an opportunity to talk about this character. of Who is she? Why is she here? And I would love to be waited on her and just ask Hermione Bagwell a little bit about uh, about her life. Yeah, she's working two shifts to make ends meet. It life is tough on Coruscant. Uh, you know, she's uh, you know she doesn't live in a high rise. She has to probably go down a few levels. There's a story there. Yeah, yeah. Is she going to night school for something interesting? You know, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, a little bit of uh, fun trivia that I found on the old Wikipedia is that uh, Flo is voiced by Australian actress uh, Susie Porter, who also portrays Hermione Bagua in the film. And allegedly, they shot some things different ways with Flo doing the drink delivery and uh, and having the dialogue and Hermione herself having the dialogue, which I would love to see those outtakes. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Absolutely great. So uh, please, uh, let's get a six-inch Black Series Hermione Bagua action figure. Mm-hmm. And for now, move on. Uh, let's talk about the music in this establishing scene, but it goes in throughout the scene. It's a... Uh, it's really bouncy and fun, but it's definitely got a little bit of an otherworldly vibe. Uh, to me, it's got a little bit of a, a techno sound with a bounce to it. Uh, has a little bit for me vibes of uh, of Raymond Scott or Looney Tunes music in the in the calmer sections because it's got a little bit of bounce and fun to it. How would you describe the music, Ken? And, and what did you think of the music that's going on in Dexter's Diner? Well, first of all, I love the jazz. This because you know we're focused on these scenes. I don't think I focused on the music in this scene as as much as uh, you know as I have in the past. So it was great to kind of narrow focus on it uh, i loved it. It, it i've always taken it as like that's number one it's playing in there there's uh obi-wan could probably drop a credit in on the on the on the on the table there and change <laughs> music if he wanted and uh little jukebox action and it just creates just creates a it's it, it's it's not just a fun uh you mentioned looney tunes i think that's accurate but it's not just a fun thing it's just it's it's peppy it's there it's life it's moving you got patrons coming in and out uh, you know, we're gonna talk about them in a little bit. You got the the there's behind Dexter when he sits down. There's that lady in the black dress just kind of enjoying a lunch at the counter. She probably she's probably gonna get back to work. And the music is just kind of, it's familiar, it's fun, but it's also busy. And, and this is to me a little bit of a city city center. So it kind of helped set that tone. Yeah, no, I really wanted to hear your thoughts because I admit I've never paid a ton of attention to it. I think maybe it's, uh, you know, I've been watching stuff on Disney Plus with uh, with earphones in, earbuds in, and I think sometimes I hear some things in a way I didn't fully hear them before. So I've honestly never paid a ton of attention to it. And I was like, right. that's great because it does sound exactly like music that would play in a diner, but it does still sound like Star Wars. It does sound otherworldly to me. It almost sounds like uh the piped in muzak version of a uh, of figure and dan in the modal node song like it doesn't yeah, yeah. sound that different to cantina music but it sounds like the like the cantina music is that that's the way they play it raw and live when they might get a bottle thrown at them <laughs> and yeah. this is the licensed muzak version of one of the modal node song that's playing in the diner yeah no oh, that's great it's great and look music and star wars yeah we just with um uh, the uh, the Alexander Freed uh, Alphabet Squadron stuff and and Chaz Nachadik's got her you know her music got her tapes she got her she got her cassette tapes in the uh, in the old uh, B wings there um, I, I love kind of exploring that the Outlander Club the beginning of this movie is pretty normal 
It's it's, it's a sports bar. We've decided, right? Sports bar with young hot people hanging around drinking. You know, <laughs> like it's pretty normal. And and I and I, I we get these questions a lot. Of do you think they you know they want to see more news reporters in Star Wars? Uh, more do they watch movies or you know TVs, Hollows or whatever? And I, I so I think there's a call for that. And the music in here kind of scratches that itch for me. Just like yeah, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, Oh, I love figuring Dan. Is this that song? I don't like this version, but it's <laughs> a subpar version, but I'm still happy to hear it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, from that, we get into some actual dialogue. Uh, Dex is happy to see Kenobi. He yells, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan smiles real big and says, hello, Dex. Dex says, uh, take a seat. I'll be right with you. Flo rolls by and asks, you want a cup of Jawa juice? Taking his seat, Obi-Wan responds happily, oh, yes, thank you. So beginning of the scene there, uh, feel free to go wherever you want with this. But I also want to ask specifically, why do you think Obi-Wan is so happy to see Dex? What is your headcanon on their relationship? Well, look, we know Obi-Wan enjoys a good drink and a good bar. But I think the the we're going to get into some of the, what, their implied history. But I think there's a great comfort. I think Obi-Wan has had... Um, uh, I mean, you're Jedi. There's a lot on your heart. You're lo- you're seeing all parts of the world. You're seeing the bad parts, and uh, and and to just be able to come sit here and find a friend. And even though I I, I assume it's been a bit, um, mm-hmm. um, there's something that's just Obi Wan lets his robe down a little bit to me <laughs> in this moment, and and it, it feels good for him to be there. You, you talked about the, the single dad energy, the kids away for the weekend. You, you brought that up, but I think there's some truth to that of, of he gets to work, he gets to roll up his sleeves, but it starts with, uh, it starts with a friend. And I, I think, uh, especially considering Obi-Wan's going to spend a lot of his life, the last 19 years or so of his life with no friends alone, or well, we'll see how many friends he makes out there in the desert in that series. I, I think it's almost sad. It's almost tragic to see that this is someone who likes to get out in the galaxy and rub shoulders with the folks down below, which maybe not a lot of the Jedi do at this time. Yeah, that he's a social guy. I think that happiness, right? Because you could have played this as, you know, this could have been a scene where, you know, uh, Dexter Jester is not somebody who's really willing to give information. And we we see Obi-Wan sneak around the back of the diner and Dexter comes out the back and Obi-Wan grabs him and he's like, you owe me information. Like, it could have been played, like, harder, right? Mm, totally. But the choice is to play it as this peek into Obi-Wan's life of, he comes here. <laughs> he likes yeah. this guy that, that this is some of the, that light side energy of this is the galaxy that, that Jedi are there to protect. So people, so everything can be in balance and people can just go about their lives and they can have dinner and discussions and have a favorite diner and have a favorite bit of Muzak <laughs> yeah. and have a favorite uh, chef who you can maybe bend their ear. You know, it's yeah. just such a picture of not only Obi-Wan, is somebody who truly enjoys life and is, is motivated to defend it because he enjoys it, but also like the, there's a lot of happiness in the galaxy when uh, the dark side is not fallen. I admit this is a maybe a far stretch and and going grandiose, but you and I talk about loving the Aki Aki Festival and Rise of Skywalker because it reminds Ray of why she's fighting and what's yeah. out there and the joy she never got to experience. I love that Obi Wan's like, I got to go solve this galactic sized problem because I just want a club sandwich with a friend, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, it's so great. I, the headcanon for me on their their background is I, you know, it feels like they've known each other for a while, and I think mm-hmm. I think Obi Wan encountered Dex maybe on a mission. 
a long time ago, and I think he's been coming there on and off since he was like a Padawan, right? Like, oh yes, no, I, I have a I have a vision. Sorry if I cut you off. No, I have no, a vision go for it. of uh, of like nine year old Obi Wan and younger Qui Gon going. We're gonna we're gonna go get an omelet, and uh, that's like the first time he sat down and he's got the kids menu, and now Dex is like, look at you, you're all you're all grown up now. Yeah, look at your long hair. <laughs> yeah, I love, like, yeah, Qui-Gon was like, you're getting a little pompous because Obi-Wan does have that in him. And, you yeah. know, let's get you out of the temple. We're going to go get an omelet. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can imagine even, you know, maybe maybe young uh, Padawan Obi-Wan bent Dex's ear about Satine, got some advice there, maybe, you know? Oh, God, that's a, oh, that's a win. <laughs> can we get that? We, they've talked about that. A lot of people want that novel or a series. Oh God, that you know, Dex. I have a I have a question about love. Well, love, eh? Yeah, I encountered that mining on the subterrain. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, in the original the notes, right? Uh, Dex and Hermione were going to be like together. There were a couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow yeah oh man want to see that too yeah and I, it's, I think i agree with you that it's been a little while right and maybe maybe obi-wan has been able to visit dex you know when he first uh became a knight so uh so dex could see that uh but maybe he's been so busy with anakin that it's been a while and there's definitely a like Obi-Wan is not just, he's not goofing around, right? He's there for a very specific reason because he thinks Dex will have information, but he's happy to be there. Totally. So, uh, also want to ask about one of the key lines in all of Star Wars, I think, and that is, <laughs> you want to, what is it? You want a cup of Jawa juice? Yeah. Uh, yeah, a cup of Jawa juice. Yes. Wanted to get it right. How do you feel about Jawa juice? Uh, for you over the years, have you thought it's coffee, booze? Uh, do you think it is made by Jawas or from Jawas? What has been your interpretation over the years? After Mandalorian season one, chapter two, I mean, who knows what's in that thing there? Uh, <laughs> so um, uh, I've always, I always took it as a form of coffee. Um, yeah. uh, maybe a little spiked coffee, maybe a little fun coffee. But I always kind of took took it as that kind of equivalent. Like you know, anytime I go into a, a diner, you know, hey Ken, how you doing? You want some coffee or a hot chocolate? Hot chocolate, please. Whipped cream, yes, please. Uh, and that's me at forty five. So um, yeah, I, I I've always taken it as that. Yeah, the cup of also leads one uh, to think of it as coffee, right? Because yeah. you know what a uh, '50s diner walks uh, waitress walks by and goes, <laughs> "You want a large cup of whiskey?" <laughs> I mean. Well, yeah, I mean, well, fair enough. Anyway, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so in re researching this on Wikipedia, uh, it claims that the 2015 book Star Wars, Absolutely Everything You Need to Know, claims that the drink is also known as Arties, and it's a beverage that originated on Tatooine made of bantha hides mashed with fermented grains, which would mean there's some alcohol involved. I don't want that. <laughs> Do you reject this? <laughs> I've rejected on. I just don't want it. If, if Flo asked me that question, the answer is no. <laughs> uh, you want some banthides mashed with fermented grains? Yeah. Uh, I I want to think at this point. I've always thought it was coffee, but at this point, I'm just going to add it to my personal headcanon that it is some kind of Irish coffee. It's coffee with a little something. Yeah. You said it too. Spiked coffee. Maybe it is something that like. Eh, Depending on your species, it's alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I actually, I have a jar still. I don't know if it's lasted, but I have, I have coffee whiskey that my uh, friend, the old camera guy, Screen Junkies, gave me. 
Um, so, and it smells like coffee, tastes like whiskey. So uh, maybe it's something like that. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so how do you think it ended up there? And are you bothered by the, like, you know, we as the audience know Jawas because we've visited this remote planet Tatooine. And of course now with the Mandalorian, we know there are some off-world Jawas, seen them different places. But have you ever felt like, oh, that's too too speaking to the audience? How does everybody in the galaxy know about Jawas? Uh, of, of all the things in the scene that I love and celebrate, this might be the thing that I could could maybe live without, but I don't, by the way, I don't want to live without it. I, I, I've come to just have no problem with it. I remember at the time, like, Jawa juice, but hey, look, I think uh, it's Solo, and Solo, when we learned that the Imperial March is actually the recruitment song, or the, you know, <laughs> uh, and it's in-world uh, from a certain point of view, like, I'm okay with that stuff. Um, this one, it, it, you know, it begs the question of, well, how many people know about Jawas? Um, and what, you know, is it, like I said, now we can say, I get behind the the headcanon of an off-world Jawa decades ago. It was like, hey, uh, I'm going to start selling this drink at Cor- in Coruscant to make a living. <laughs> and rises up and owns his own Jawa juice stand or something like that. And also now, Joseph, uh, in this uh, limited edition Kenobi series, him having a cup of Jawa juice means a lot. Oh, yeah. No, he's, yeah. yeah. I want him to have a cup of Jawa juice, and then I want him to look down into the, that dark fluid and see a reflection of Dexter Jester's face. <laughs> Hopelessly devoted <laughs> to Dex. Exactly. I do really like the idea of that this is a drink that the Jawas make. Um, yeah. I think that really tracks with what we saw in Mandalorian, where they have that little patio at the top of the sand crawler that we both love. They're clearly ah. motivated by food and drink. They want suka so bad. I like that this is what they made for themselves. I want to see the Jawa barbecue that's going on up there with <laughs> Jawa juice being passed around. Yeah, I think like uh, moisture farmers on Tatooine know that the the Jawas roll around like, hey, you, you want some Jawa juice? And they're trying to get them drunk so they can have an advantage when bartering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think they tried to pull that on Dex once and he brought it to Coruscant. That's my head cannon for now for Jawa juice. Uh, there's so much uh, to discuss in this scene. We spent the first chunk of this podcast discussing mostly uh, the aesthetic and the drinks. And now we're really going to get into the heart of the conversation after we take a quick break. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, Four Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Four Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J E N I L A N D A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at Jennifer Landa and on TikTok as Jennifer Landa1138. And we are back to finish our discussion and our meal and drink at Dex's Diner. We're getting into the heart of the scene. Diving right in here. Dex approaches, shouting, hey, old buddy. Kenobi rises. They share a big hug. And while Obi-Wan pats his back, Dex uses one of his four basilisk arms to pull up his pants. Ken, is this rude or just good multitasking? And this is one of the most important questions we've ever asked ourselves here at Force Center. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, it's good multitasking. It, it, it's the opposite of rude. It's proper. It's uh, He understands the 
uh, base level uh, expectations of a functioning society with uh, <laughs> modesty and, and clothing. And he kind of doesn't care, but he's, he respects Obi-Wan and, and his customers enough to know that this is probably what he, what he, what he needs to do. Because, again, I, he's so not pretentious and he's lived such a full life. He gets it. He gets it. Um, uh, and I just, I, you know. Who doesn't? I, if I had four arms, I'd be checking my pants all the time, pulling them off. <laughs> I hate when my pants fall down. So yeah, there we go. Yeah, I I think this is one of those moments where it's probably like, okay, here's some, some more of that silly humor when I first saw it. But now I just love it. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a whole discussion about is it too earth like the fifties diner? Is his you know uh, the grumpy old chef vibe too earth like? But let's give credit where credit's due. He, he's a real different alien. The Basilisk, you know, has gone yeah. on to have some great life in Star Wars. Uh, Pong Krell, the horrific uh, Jedi in the Clone Wars being a Basilisk. And I think this is just, uh, it's a moment to be like, to recenter. Like, yeah, we're in a 50s diner, but we're still in Star Wars. Uh, yeah. In different characters, biology means that, you know, they're going to have some different cultural habits. And... <laughs> This is a perfectly normal thing for a best list to do. Like, yeah, I'm hugging you, but I'm I'm also flipping through this book or pulling up my pants or, <laughs> or stirring this pot. Like, look, yeah, I got four arms. I'm always going to be multitasking. If you had four arms, yeah, <laughs> that might be part of your culture to always be multitasking. Look, Dex has got places to go and things to do and knowledge to gather and wisdom to dole out. So, you know, he's going to yeah. be doing a lot of things. Butts to cover. Yeah. And as a joke, I think for me, it also does just really enforce like that's what we're doing. We're doing the sloppy old uh, diner chef aesthetic. Does that work for you? Uh, it does. Look, I grew up watching uh, was a TV show. Uh, Kiss my grits. Alice, you got Melba. Yeah. You know, I, I, I thought I by the way, I thought that was a documentary. I was so young when we were, my parents had that on TV. <laughs> um, so it all it always kind of works. And I had, yeah. I had a good friend from high school who would go on to be kind of a short order cook. And uh, outside of the two extra arms. Very much like Dex. <laughs> and that's that's maybe how he'd use those extra arms, right? Uh, he, he needed them. Let's just say that. He needed them. <laughs> so let's talk about the hug itself. Uh, that's a that's an intense hug. There's a level of intimacy. There's a joy in these characters embracing. What does that tell us about the characters? Why is the hug there? We were talking about how a lot in the prequels we really believe is that is an intentional choice, like it or not. It's not random. Why is the hug there? I could look at it in two ways. What we knew at the time in 2002 or uh, pre-Disney era where the stories uh, expanded in a lot of ways. Uh, and also you know, Clone Wars, uh, Satine, all that kind of stuff. I, I could look at that. I can look at I can look at, uh, at then. Um, this to me represents trust. Um, that These two characters have shared experiences or points of view or at the very least have understanding of each other's experiences and points of view. And that's why they come together for this. And that's the value of the relationship. And the, you know, Kenobi understands the importance of it. Uh, the the um, we, we, you know, for some reason, this has been in my mind all the time. I know I know sometimes you and I will mention key points um, uh, over and over when they're on our mind. Mine is the, the Leia and Wicket lately, where Leia, the rebellion, looks at Wicket as an ally when the rest of the galaxy did not see that. And to me, it's Kenobi as a Jedi coming down below and just totally open to this dirty, grimy, pants falling down, short order cook, <laughs> because he knows he's got a history. He knows he's got story. He knows he's got experiences and he knows that he can be himself and get the information and support he needs from Dex. All that to be in a hug, because remember, this is Kenobi. This is attachment guy. Don't do this. This is, uh, you know, all the stuff now we know of Satine and his background there. Uh, 
you know, uh, he, he's attached in a way to, to Dex, not in a way that would, um, I think, uh, knock him off his Jedi pedestal there. But, but you know, it, it says a lot. It's important that it's a hug. Yeah, to me, I really agree with you. It is reinforcing all of these uh, various ideas uh, we've been talking about of this could have been, you know, an edgier scene where Obi-Wan had to barter for the information. But this is really a scene about the people who like each other and and trust each other and trust each other to the point where they can kind of rib each other. Uh, So I think it's important in establishing that. I also think it's it's very interesting that it's in this movie. It uh, it happens not long before the conversation that Anakin and Padme are going to have on the refugee ship about what the actual rules for attachment are. Right. And where Anakin makes that uh, argument that's, I think, both true and a little bit of a self-serving to build this relationship with Padme of, yeah, we're not supposed to have committed relationships, but we are supposed to be compassionate for everyone. And I think this shows this picture of like, hey, this is what that is when it's functioning. It's... Obi-Wan is not so attached to Dexter that if something happens to him, Obi-Wan's going to lose his mind and go murder everyone involved, right? Uh, But he's a friend, and friendships are good, and compassion, and hugging is good. That's the light side. That's what we fight for. And I feel that in in this hug. Yeah, no, yeah, the way they could have approach this scene or, or this beat in the story. Uh, you're right. It could have been Kenobi needing to knock three times on the back door in the alley or bribing him. They went up front center with a connection. And I, and I, I like that about the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think it's notable the hug, you know, whether or not you think it works now, whether you think it worked back in the day, definitely like a, an evolution of the Jar Jar tech, right? People talk a yeah. lot about how Jar Jar is the, this first, you know, all animated, uh, you know, obviously Ahmed Best was there in the mocap, all that stuff. Uh, But this is definitely a like, hey, let's keep playing with that. Can we make Ewan McGregor hug a person who's not there? (laughs) Yes, we can. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they sit down. Dex squeezes into the booth with a groan and a cough. (laughs) And we've we've talked around it a little bit, but this seems like a good place to to dive into Dex's aesthetic himself. Right. He's he's big and loud. He's the owner of the diner. But he's also getting his four hands real dirty doing the actual work. He's got a big, bushy mustache, deep voice, jowls for days. It's a very specific aesthetic. Uh, what do you think is gained by his look, his attitude? How does he expand, you know, the the Star Wars palette of characters? Well, you mentioned he's he's, he's memorable in his, in his own way. Uh, I really think he's he's charming designed to be charming designed to be warm but gruff uh all those things but then i also love it just makes you you mentioned it you mentioned earlier i love earlier on kenobi's like politicians ain't to be trusted ain't <laughs> nothing i like up here uh, later on in revenge of the sith uh, oh anakin this is this is your world i don't like these politicians this, this is this is obi-wan's people this is Obi-Wan's uh, world. This is it. It tracks. It, it seems like it's a, it's, a, it's a joke of uh, Kenobi in bars, Kenobi with a drink, and, and it happens for a reason. But it makes sense. It's really the character. And I think Dex just uh, serves that. Not to just say he's there to serve Kenobi, but he is in the scene in a way. Um, and and it, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a prequel series that is clean right there's a lot of sheen and people talk about the it's the, the sleek designs of the, and the beauty of Naboo and even Coruscant we're up there on the higher you know the temples and the chambers to go down to the ground uh, not quite to the ground but to go down to this level and see someone like Dex grimy 
pants falling down, but he's got the answers. I just love that he exists and his design works for me in Star Wars. Yeah, no, I will. Uh, I will invoke what you just invoked. I, I think there is some some Ewok lesson going on of mm. everyone matters and don't judge by appearance. You know, those yep. are themes that happen in Star Wars a lot, and I think Dexter is a, a big one of those. Yeah. I think the fact that also that he is uh, shown as like, yeah, I, I, I work here. Uh, you know, we we know that it's his diner, uh, but he's very much working there. He's behind. You know, he's not in a nice suit. <laughs> yelling at Hermione Bagua, right? He is yeah. working. That's one of the things that, to me, evokes the specific detective noir, uh, Raymond Chandler's, Philip Marlowe's novels. Mm. Because in those stories uh, that are, you know, set in, you know, uh, 30s, 40s LA, it is, uh, Philip Marlowe is, uh, you know, a detective who ha- has a-, a hopeful heart and mm. wrestles with cynicism uh, in is upset by how awful the world can be. And what often happens in these stories is whatever horror is going on that he's investigating, it's usually the rich upper class people who are doing the crime and causing the pain, you know, like Palpatine, Tuku, trade Federation, banking clan, and the detective character, the Philip Marlowe character in this uh, scenario, the Obi-Wan character gets the information about what's going on and how the crime is affecting people from mm. the day-to-day people, the little people that the rich people think don't matter. And Dex is like the poster boy uh, for that kind of character, the kind of character that somebody like Dooku thinks doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's uh, uh, upstairs, <laughs> downstairs in a glass scale. <laughs> it really uh, is. Yeah. And I love it. And, and, and I, I, you know, for, again, speaking in personal taste, it's like I, I am more likely to hang out with Dexter than, than anyone else. And that's not a judgment of politicians. I actually have some politician friends and everything, but like um, Dex, Dexter's my guy, too. And that's why I get it. I get it, Obi-Wan. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, very, very there for uh, the general aesthetic of Dex. Uh, so our, our two friends here start chatting up a storm now. Dex uh, asks, so my friend, what can I do for you? We went holds up the saber dart and says, you can tell me what this is. Dex takes uh, the dart and says, wow, what do you know? <laughs> I, ain't seen, <laughs> I ain't seen one of these since I was prospecting on sub beyond the outer rim. So, uh, Dex has clearly had more than one career. You know, we see just practically, oh, this is why Obi-Wan went to him for advice. Uh, but what does this add to the the character of the scene, knowing that he's been around the block? Um, I I think for me, um, I, I, you know, he's first of all, he's in the, the uh, Grizzled Weirdo Hall of Fame. Uh, this is, uh, we talked about the, uh, kind of the working man and all those kind of things. I don't want to repeat any kind of points, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's the eons of history and experience. They're just there waiting for you. Uh, and I, uh, I, I'm daydreaming about a, a Dex, uh, young Dex series right now. You know, what I'm, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I think for me, it, it paints this picture of like the hard knock galaxy, right? That there's a <laughs> lot hard. of different stuff out there. There's a yeah. lot of different experiences to have. You know, and I get this picture that Dex has had like 50 jobs, right? You get him going and he's like, oh, yeah, there was a, I was a boxer for a while. <laughs> yeah, I was a miner on a, on a prospector on Sub Terrell, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I had some money for a while and I produced some hollow videos, you know, and then yeah. this is yeah. kind of my retirement, you know, that he's just he's been everywhere, done everything is mm-hmm. a, a, a cool picture, right? 
Oh yeah, he had a used speeder dealership, uh, <laughs> probably on uh, another planet. Um, you know, he he's he's done. And we all have those kind of cats. I have a friend out in Texas, and he's he's the guy. He's the one I'll tr- I'd ca- probably go to for these type of you know answers. He's a, a nicer version of Walter Sobchak and Big Lebowski. You want a toe? <laughs> I can get you a toe. He, he's that guy, uh, and uh, you know, and again, it's it's this. Uh, we're going to talk about it in a second, but it's like we're seeing, uh, you know, the, the, the knowledge versus wisdom, which is, I think, the big core of this scene. Um, you got Dexter Steiner. You, you mentioned you got Jedi Archives. By the way, nothing against Jocasta new. But also, it's interesting to note. Uh, I'm going to take, take it a little bit this way, Joseph. It's interesting to note these two characters back to back. We got uh, Dexter uh, and, and Jocasta new. Mm-hmm. These are two characters that I, I remember still answering uh, the, the question of uh, who is the Jedi archivist, the librarian, whatever you will, in a, in a trivia contest. And I answered Jocasta New and everything. And after the match, some contemporary colleagues of mine in the business, I understand they don't, they don't watch and understand Star Wars like I do or you do or Alex Damon or anyone like that. But they came and they literally, 2018 or something, were like, Wait, are you telling me that there's a Jedi librarian? And I'm like, number one, I was like, well, yes, and she's yeah. spectacular. <laughs> but that throws a wrench in their love of Star Wars just as much as Dexter. This idea of there's a library. Wait a minute, the Jedi have a library? Like, why would you think they wouldn't? <laughs> like, what's in a temple? You know, when Yoda uh, said knowledge and defense, that that really uh that yeah. is, that includes books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, but it's also the same reaction with Dex of like, ah, oh, a short order cook. And a librarian, like ah, like and and if clones, it challenges people in a lot of ways in that in, in that aspect. Yeah, no, I I can't wait and uh, to read about a Jedi accountant that's just gonna blow people's minds. Well, yeah, and it, it, but you know, and we're seeing you know, it, if a Falcon Winter Soldier raises questions about where they were the funding and monies, and you know, uh, I love when James Bond James Bond's uh, credit card gets denied. I mean, like, and <laughs> I have expense accounts. Where do they get that money? Do we really want to know? I don't know, but it's all, and, and we don't like to get Star Wars doesn't need to get into those nuts and bolts. It's just the the topping of the cake here, obviously, as we know. But I, I think it's fun to know it exists and, and play around with it. I, I think it is important to to just I be aware. It's why I wanted to do that episode a while back about the the fantasy versus the realism. That's going to be a tension because I think yeah. Lucas was interested in both. And, and like I said, I think in the prequels, he was really interested more in like the nuts and bolts of how does their society work? Because it was yeah, yeah. a criticism of how the society fell apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so going into their conversation even more, Obi-Wan asks if Dex can tell him where the dark came from. Uh, Flo delivers two cups of Jawa juice. Uh, so Dex is possibly drinking on the job if we believe I mean, this is alcoholic. I mean, he is. Come on. He is. <laughs> He's got a little bit of that aesthetic, right? Yeah. Um, the Jawa juice comes in these uh, silvery cups with a spiral design. Uh, Dex says, uh, this baby belongs to them cloners. What you got here is a Camino saber dart. And Obi-Wan says, I wonder why it didn't show up in the analysis archives. Dex responds, it's the funny little cuts on the side that give it away. Those analysis droids only focus on symbols. Ha, I should think that you Jedi would have more respect for the difference between knowledge and <laughs> wisdom. <laughs> hmm. well uh, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a real delivery choice there. Uh, Ken, I hmm. love this line. I, I agree with what you were saying that I think it is kind of the key line of this scene to dive into. What for you is the importance of the difference between knowledge and wisdom in Star Wars and or real life? Why is that such a, a big line? Ooh, you're asking big questions there. You know, and Dex has the big answers. 
I look, I, you know, I even did the seventh grade book report thing. I, I, I went to look up the definitions because I wanted to make sure for myself <laughs> at 45, that, have I lived my whole life with the right thoughts of this? And, you know, in general, I think we all understand knowledge is kind of a, for lack of a better term, just the, the collection and the gathering of skills and information and, and, and uh, facts is thrown in there a lot too. And, and that includes learning, studying. It's not just sitting around and 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 observing. It, it is it's experiencing that stuff, gathering it. And to me, the to me, this is Ken's definition. Wisdom is is the the application of that knowledge and knowing what to use that knowledge for, how to use it, when to use it might be even more important. <laughs> um, and that's just a simple way I've always kind of looked at it. Uh, and and then to see it on display here, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's funny. And, and it, the deleted scene you're talking about, we don't get in the movie. We don't need it in the movie. But I love how this this begins because we're going to get to some fun, playful tension between them or, or some barbs and some banter. But mm-hmm. it kind of starts with Obi-Wan legitimately going, man, why did the analysis droids miss this? Uh, and, and not that he isn't a wise character, but I think Obi-Wan gets wiser. I think when we see him at that campfire resolution, he's all wisdom and the mm. knowledge is burned away because uh, he has it. It's there, I sh- you know, but he knows how to just really use it. And he's at a very wise spot in his life when he's talking to Maul at the end. Look what I've risen above. It's a pretty wise statement. And I think you go back here and it's grown from that. And this is uh, Dex is one of those uh, characters. And this is one of those moments where Obi-Wan's really faced with it. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely great. Um, I, you're right, we don't need the analysis droid scene to make this uh, comparison because we kind of get it in this scene, but it is, it's powerful to see the analysis droids in their uh, very clean uh, mm-hmm. space. Uh, you know, everything looks like it's very controlled. He has to put it in a tray. <laughs> uh, yeah. And they're very, very certain of themselves. Um, it's fun for yeah. me to see those analysis droids again because they're not the exact same kind of analysis droids, but they're very similar analysis droids uh, to the ones who have uh, no idea what's happening with Padme. <laughs> it makes you go, maybe we shouldn't trust the droid's word for what's going on with Padme in no, Revenge of the Sith. Droids, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, to me, I think uh, I agree with the way you're defining this knowledge. is It's not just you know facts you can Google, but it's experiential knowledge. It's skills, but mm-hmm. wisdom is about the application of how do you apply those? When do you apply those? Uh, you know, I think uh, to me, I, in real life, I think a lot about wisdom being you go through life and you have experiences and you learn something. And sometimes you're like, got it. Now I know how to handle that the next time. Uh, yeah. But the next time is different. <laughs> and you get yeah. a different set of wisdom. And to me, every every moment that I get older, I always feel like wisdom is the wisdom to know when to use which wisdom. You're right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 100 percent true. Uh, and it, I think that's very, very big with Star Wars of, you know, the Jedi constantly have to make these choices about when taking action is is moral and right and necessary and when it's taking action just going to exacerbate the problem. Um, but for, for right here, right now, this line, I absolutely love it. I, I always took it as just something, uh, you know, playful and we're going to get to the teasing and really, really Dex teasing about like, you know, you Jedi are know-it-alls, but sometimes there's these more greasy spoon level of wisdom of you know you can't find everything in a computer or in an old uh, holocron sometimes you have to go out there and experience life this is greasy spoon kind of wisdom i always took it that way but rewatching attack the clones a while back uh for one of our discussions and marveling at how much padme was on top of everything Mm -hmm, (laughs) uh mm -hmm. throughout the movie and this is then also a movie about the jedi 
already having a lot of knowledge, accumulating a lot of knowledge, but not having the wisdom to see what was going on around them. Uh, this this line is central to me of the theme of Attack of the Clones. It's the tragedy that the Jedi have all of this knowledge, but they're not able to apply it. They're not able to turn it into the right kind of wisdom mm. uh, to see uh, who the Sith are, uh, to recognize what Dooku's up to, to see why they're being drawn into the yeah. war to uh, to truly question and get to the bottom of all of the possibilities of the prophecy around Anakin. Um, yeah. The Jedi are this picture of who of this group that has a lot of knowledge and is not able to transform it into wisdom. And then Padme's arc through this movie is somebody who has knowledge and is constantly converting it into wisdom <laughs> by figuring out what is actually going on, how to handle situations, uh, what Anakin, the wisdom Anakin needs to hear uh, after his, uh, you know, his mom died and he, he did this horrible act of slaughtering the Tusken Raiders. So yeah. knowledge and wisdom, great moment in this scene between these two characters, very truthful to the character of Dexter Jester, but I think a big key to appreciating Attack of the Clones. Wow, you you just you just gave the scene the the gravitas it deserves. It, it's it's a really it's central to the theme. Also, I really am trying to campaign to have it uh, called Star Wars Episode Two: Believe Women, and it's just a picture of Padme <laughs> in Palpatine's office when Kiati Mundy's telling her, "Don't worry," uh, and it's just that look she gives everyone of like. Uh, okay, I see what's happening. Um, no, it's it's very important because I this idea that you know the Jedi at this point have just acquired. A, to say a lot of knowledge is, is to uh, is to uh, not count at all. I mean, we've got hundreds, thousands of years. We're, we're just ex- scratching the surface on the High Republic. If so much knowledge, I think of Porter Ingle, my my new favorite Jedi that I love to talk about from the High Republic series and mm-hmm. a lot of Jedi. I've just three hundred years still out there. Uh, I I want Porter Ingle and Dexter Jetster to run into each other and have a great scene of just wisdom over knowledge. And the Jedi, with all his knowledge, you said it, Joseph, they're losing the ability to properly apply it to a very fast-changing world. Uh, we hear the term in, in the prequels, the, the narrow, dogmatic view of the Jedi. Now, that's a big accusatory phrase from the mouth of a gothic villain. I understand that. <laughs> but it's also the truth, right? The Jedi are clouded by him, but they're clouded. Dex is not. I bet Dex, given a few moments, could figure out Palpatine was the uh, evil. <laughs> that's why Palpatine never went to Dex's diner. Yeah. And and so, th- so I, 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 I'm... I guess my tongue is in cheek for about two seconds, but I'll pull it out to say this scene for all, all of its controversy about a fifties diner is, is basically telling you and Obi-Wan look around you for three movies. This is the crap that's going on. Catch up, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think there is, I think this is just one of the real active moments where we all, we all kind of know the story of the Jedi in the prequels. It's the story of how they fell. Right. Mm. Uh, but these are some real active scenes where we see the, the cold hubris of the analysis droids mm-hmm. or hear about it in this scene in that pomposity that's going on there. And with Drew Costa new of like the Jedi uh, accumulate knowledge, they value knowledge, but it's also a tenet to question knowledge. And we see these moments of hubris where they don't question knowledge, but then we also see a positive contrast where Yoda does what what Jedi are supposed to do in the scene with the younglings and question it and look at it from a different perspective. And, you know, it's the moment of tragedy of like, you know, some of the Jedi like Yoda are still doing those things, but they're not happening enough, not happening in the big picture. Yeah, I mean, these are the beats that are coming right after this big scene here. And and and, and Juk- again, I, we we really do enjoy Jocasta as a character. We love the little run she had in the uh, 
Vader comic, rest in peace. Great stuff with Jocasta News. So we're not attacking Jocasta. She's just a product of the environment and a product of what's going on. And that hubris word we love. We love it for a reason. It's a powerful word. And uh, by the way, Kristen Baver uses it excellently in the Skywalker uh, book she just wrote. Um, (laughs) So um, this idea that, you know, she that look on her her face like Obi-Wan. If it's not here, it doesn't exist. Like, how could you? By the way, this is the same Jedi Order that Kiati Monday I just mentioned is like, Duke, it was a political idea. You know, Kiati Monday is the type that's like, I'm going to go visit Dex. And he's like, he is just a short order cook. He <laughs> he's just a diner idealist. Yes. <laughs> he's the diner idealist. His club sandwiches are good, but they're not full of the wisdom we need. Uh, it's great sorrow stuff uh, great real life stuff I think it is an ongoing journey for me uh, to value the knowledge you have but also take that moment to question it and questioning it doesn't mean throwing it out it means Hmm. to me it means double checking it right because sometimes you like you're like hey here's something that I believe and I've believed for years and years and years let me stop and question it no I'm still good with it (laughs) it's more than stopping to question it because sometimes you go oh wait I should look at it from this different perspective. And other times it will help you validate a truth you know, I, I, or validate yeah. a piece of wisdom. Uh, my, one of my old bosses, oh God, he used, to, he used to drive me crazy, but I also, he was always, he was good at his job, but he would trust and verify, trust and verify. Every day at my old job, I had to deal with that and trust and verify, trust and verify, <laughs> but I, I got it. I got it. You got it. You got the old trust and verify. All right. So uh, let's move on then. Uh, Obi-Wan smirks and seems a little challenged by Dexter poking at the Jedi, not knowing the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Is this the is this the value of their relationship? Uh, challenging one another? Is this does Obi Wan go there for the Jawa juice and to be poked by Dex? I think it's a. I think it's a. I never thought of it in these terms, but based on some of the big grandiose things we've discussed in here, and, and I'm saying, you know, could Dex have figured out who Palpatine was before them? I mean, you know, the Zillabies could. I I think there's something. I don't I don't think Dex is on that uh, um, uh, tip there, but I I, I think. I think he's seen this coming, if you know what I mean. And I think this is an ongoing conversation that Obi-Wan has heard before, whether it's not specific to knowledge and Jedi, but just Dex is on the street, uh, uh, down there on the ground. He's hearing the conversations that are around these down. He's having the conversations. I'm sure a a Jedi couple Jedis have walked in for Jawa juice and some Ronto omelets. And he's heard what people think about those Jedi. So he's seen this happen. And so I think it does go back and forth and there's great value to it, but, but it's fun and it's supportive and he, he's rooting for him. And I think Obi-Wan knows that. And I think this is a, it's like, Obi-Wan has that moment. I highlighted Obi-Wan's like, ah, the droids are next thing. You know, he's like, Oh, I know what's coming. Dex, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah. He, cause it's a great moment by Ewan McGregor where he's like, Oh, here we go. All right. All right. You got <laughs> your shot in, you got your shot in buddy. Nice one. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I haven't realized how much headcanon I'm taking from this one tiny moment. <laughs> same, same. But for me, it really is about Obi-Wan is somebody who can be uh, dogmatic, uh, mm-hmm. but he's also somebody who does come to truly, truly value this idea of like, oh, wait, let's look at it from this other angle. Particularly once he gets into the Clone Wars, we see him solving problems again and again by going, wait, let's not rush in. Let's find out what's going on or let's, you know, turn the tables on somebody in a way that they're not thinking about. And it just seems so central to me to to him as a character that I've always just pictured like when he's got free time, he has a collection of bars and diners and maybe remote villages on different mm. planets where he's like, I know 
that I can go and get a meal and get a drink and I can have a debate and I can have my views questioned and I can hear other people's perspectives. And that's, to me, like a big part of of who his character is in my headcanon because of this interaction. Yeah, no, it, it works. It, it, yeah, and, and there's a spirit to it that is, we talk about this warm, comforting environment here that Dex provides and, and Dex represents. And um, I love having a little discussion. I can have discussions on either favorite movies or shows I want, but it's like, how are you discussing it with me? Is, is it, and, and there's, you know, are you in my face about it or are you like Dex going, ah, come on, buddy, look at it this way. You know, it's, it's, it's something I like about this scene too. Yeah, I think it also just ties back to original Alec, McGinnis, uh, there's uh, 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 Al Guinness, McGinnis. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't know where that came from. Uh, oh, I do. Anyway, doesn't mind, matter. Yeah. Uh, Al Guinness, uh, that th- there's a lot of him just poking and challenging, right? The should yeah. I have line or, you know, who's the more foolish line? You know, mm-hmm. there, there are a lot of things where he could have just stated his opinion, but he just kind of pushes on Han yeah. a little bit, you know, and it's that's somebody who just who likes to have these kind of uh, let's debate. Yeah. Yeah. Let's trade barbs. Let's trade perspectives. Uh, so Obi-Wan does exactly that. He counters with the comment, uh, well, if droids could think, there'd be none of us here, would there? <laughs> A shocking line. Somewhere the droid Gatra loads the power packs on their blasters. Uh, we've, we've moved into a new era of Star Wars storytelling where we're really... There's been moments of it throughout, but we're really, really re-examining how uh, all of our organic uh, characters treat the droid mm-hmm. characters. We got the droid Gotcha. We have L3 uh, fighting for droid rights in Solo. So how do you take this line now? What does it tell you about Obi-Wan, about the state of uh, droids in the galaxy? Yeah, we had that wonderful uh, little sequence implanted in uh, Alphabet Squadron run by droids, right? Right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, haunting in a way. Um, it's just, I love it. I, I, I've... Yeah, because you're right. That's all kind of more modern Disney era canon stuff. But this is not this is 2002. And it's like, man, Obi-Wan, are you a jerk? Uh, <laughs> but we also see his treatment of R4 is a little different. And and you see um, Anakin's uh, connection both to 3PO in the past and R2 later on. And the, this kind of revelation that I think we get later on in the Star Wars world of uh, Anakin didn't wipe R2's memory like maybe he should have, like protocol maybe dictated. Um uh, it's interesting. So it's 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 a bit of a comment maybe on the the Jedi. I also understand where Obi Wan's coming from. I mean, he just been ten years ago. He's slashing, um, you know, mindless droids out there in uh, Naboo. And if they had had any more thought, maybe they wouldn't. And so <laughs> he's got some resentment. Um, but I, uh, I I don't hold it against Obi Wan. I think it may be again product of his environment where he was raised. Yeah, no, I mean, I really like it because as much as I love the character of Obi-Wan, I don't love him because I think he's always right. I love him because I think he's complex and interesting. And I think he's got this, he has a pompous, judgmental streak. And I think he gets better as he gets older. But I mean, you can't ignore that line in Phantom Menace where uh, he tells Qui-Gon, like, have you picked up another pathetic life form? (laughs) No. He's got a little bit of the, you know, Jedi Jedi are pretty great. And and I think there's like a bias to like his perspective of, you know, uh, knowledge and training yeah. and questioning things. That's that's what you got to be somebody who does that. That's what makes people great is, is mm-hmm. you know, knowledge and training and questioning things. Uh, and he can be judgmental if he thinks people aren't doing that. Yeah, it's a little, a little knowledge and wisdom example here, too. You know, if you had a little more wisdom, you might treat the, the droids a little better. Uh, and it's a running joke. Look, the very next scene, we R2 gets the same treatment if we don't serve droid 
from uh, the, the <laughs> droid on the uh, refugee ship. You know, it's yeah, present in the galaxy. Droid being rude to a droid. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but definitely, definitely, I want in a uh, a Lego Star Wars uh, show or video game a scene between Obi Wan and L three where. L three is not happy with Obi Wan for this line. I I love that, and, and a final note for me on it too. I I, I your love of Obi Wan is 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 uh, infectious in the best way. Um, and, and I I love that you highlight that. It, you know, you don't love Obi Wan because every part of his story is perfect. It it, it you learn from him. I I. I I've told you, told you all here, except for the, I, I gravitate towards Han I, before I knew why, but then I kind of got as I got older. And there's parts of Han that are bad that I see in myself. And, and I, I'm inspired and moved by these characters' journeys. It's part of it. And I, I think uh, I love that Obi-Wan has some fallacies. Yeah, yeah. And if you watch that uh, analysis droid cut scene, I can also feel a little bit more for like, yeah, those, those droids were kind of rude and pompous. So <laughs> they were rude. <laughs> if those are the droids Obi-Wan's hanging out with, like he's going like, Oh, thank goodness that they uh, can't <laughs> go beyond their programming and, and decide, you know, exactly how the Jedi should be filed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, then the conversation gets back to business. Obi-Wan asks, uh, Camino, I'm not familiar with it. Is it in the Republic? And Dex answers, no, no, it's beyond the outer rim. I'd say about 12 parsecs outside the Rishi maze. Should be easy to find for those, even for those droids in your archives. Then he whispers, these uh, Cam- uh, Caminoans keep to themselves. They're cloners. Damn good ones, too. Uh, so damn good ones can, to me, implies the existence of crappy cloners. Uh, <laughs> yes. We had a great question about what else uh, Camino might be cloning on a recent uh, episode of our News and Cues show. Uh, but I did want to kind of remix it here. How much cloning do you think is going on in the galaxy? I think enough to where, you know, it's in it's on the far reaches of the galaxy. It's in the margins, so to speak, because maybe it's something that's not accepted or frowned upon or not fully understood. But look at the journey the clones are about to go on, right, and discover themselves uh, while being exactly the same as everyone else around them. I think it's important. Um, I do think um, there's I do think there's crappy cloners. I think I think if you've ever seen the movie Multiplicity, they're all putting out the fourth versions of Michael Keaton, the one who puts pizza <laughs> in his wallet, which is also my favorite version. But uh, I think it's out there. I, I think uh, much like slavery is still in existence in the margins of the galaxy and, and the Republic can only uh, do so much or feels they can only do so much or maybe they should do more. I think uh, this this uh, is tip of the iceberg storytelling to to clones in the galaxy that I actually hope we see some other spots. Yeah, yeah, no, I I would really like to see more storytelling, uh, and I really like the idea that yeah, Camino is special, right? That they mm-hmm. are high end, um, and I like the idea that cloning is done by lots of different people. But as you're saying, maybe some shady people. <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe you can get some like yeah, it's not a whole planet scientifically devoted to it. It's a uh, it's a guy with some equipment, <laughs> you know, look, man, I have, uh, for my iPhone, I have some, um, I wouldn't call them, I'd call them ear pods cause I got them at a swap meet. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I can go to the Apple store, which looks like Camino and I can get the other ones for the full price. But you know, sometimes you're in the galaxy, you need a clone, you need an ear pod, you get what you get. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> the, the bargain basement clone. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. I like the idea that, that what is different about the story of the Clone Wars is this massive scale, right? And, and yeah. the effect it has on the galaxy. And I do like the idea that, yeah, maybe cloning is uh, frowned upon. Maybe it's complex, hard to get right, but that it's done a lot on a small scale for, you know, small conflicts mm-hmm. that maybe just happen on one planet or yeah. interplanetary or, uh, you know, to generate workers or 
just the vanity of cloning yourself uh, mm -hmm. that is happening. I would love some stories that show that it's happening on a small scale. And sometimes it's fine. And other times you get uh, the version of clones that are ear puds. <laughs> yep. They work 25% of the time. <laughs> uh, how important to you is this picture that Camino is outside the Republic, this kind of secret place that someone like Dexter has heard of? Uh, I, I, I speaks to the knowledge and wisdom thing that uh, Dexter would know and, and not just the Jedi, but a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uptight formal people inside the galaxy uh, might not think it exists, might not think it exists anymore or just didn't care to look. And, and I think there's a part of that uh, that works for me. And it's just the, the Camino itself, which is a world and a planet and a kind of environment that you, you and I love. Um, I love how just how literally alien it is and, and close encounters of the third kind or sci-fi it is, which is what I would want of out of some really damn good cloners. And I think they logistically it works for me, just them on the outside. Uh, I keep saying the term, the margins, which is like outside the, 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 the center of the galaxy. Yeah, I think there's something to that, too, of like this is the era of, you know, the Republic and the Jedi are dealing with all of these Republic uh, politics. Uh, and it, it can be seen as like, well, the Republic, the Republic is the galaxy, right? And Phantom Menace reminds us, no, there's, you know, some awful things going on on Tatooine with the slavery and the, and the crime. And then this is another reminder that like the Republic's not the whole galaxy. You don't have your grip on everything. There are other uh, places and forces and powers that be. Indeed. So Obi-Wan responds, uh, cloners, are they friendly? Dex replies, oh, depends. Obi-Wan smiles and prods, depends on what, Dex? Dex leans in and says, on how good your manners are, on how big your uh, pocketbook is. Then he chuckles ominously. So <laughs> let's talk about, first, Ken, the super real earthward pocketbook. How are you feeling about that these days? Look, if if, if you get hold, held up on pocketbook in this scene, then you've you've already let pass uh, many giant obstacles. And, and if that's, if that holds you up, God bless you. Uh, I got nothing for you. And yep, this scene is horrible. Um, yeah. If, if you're like in the fifties diner with club sandwiches, Java juice and jukebox music, the guy said pocketbook, I'm out. And you, you, you know, I guess there you go. Uh, I I've honestly literally never thought about it. I love it. I also love the idea of just uh, Kenobi having like a bill fold with walking around <laughs> money and a Jedi credit card. That's the thing I think I've always, you know, when I when I heard it, I accepted it as is what it means, which we're going to yeah. talk about uh, and, you know, what it stands for. But then recently, I think because there's always discussion about what is uh, to Earth world or not, you know, big mm -hmm. ass door, Godspeed rebels, you got a boyfriend, cute boyfriend. You know, everybody's had uh, for the sequels as they've come out uh, different words or, or phrases like, ah, oh, that's too real world. And then mm -hmm. whenever I hear those discussions, I'm like, remember when Dexter Jetster says pocketbook? <laughs> <laughs> You know, so I think it's one that it's a one of those words that is very, very earthbound, uh, but kind of flies under the radar in our discussions of that. It's also, I don't know. I just also love it as a detail. I was just rewatching Dirty Rotten Scoundrels the other day. Uh, Frank Oz directed Ian McDermott in it. Steve Martin, Michael Caine and Glenn Headley at the end when she's playing up the character. Like he even he even took my little change purse. I just love those little details. And this uh, pocketbook's a good one. It, and it's it, it invokes the 1950s like a businessman out on a trip selling vacuums. Yep. You know who has a pocketbook and a change purse? Hermione Bagua. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about that ominous chuckle. What is the 
ominous chuckle about do you like that is a part of dexter's character we've talked about him as you know down to earth has true wisdom but now he's getting borderline scary uh do you like that in his character and why does he do it what is the ominous chuckle about i i i've thought about this a lot even years before we had a podcast i uh, i think that's one of the moments i love about the scene it is really ominous by the way the fact that kenobi's like uh cloners are they friendly which he has to ask that question I mean, hmm. owners have a bad reputation. They're off <laughs> doing weird things. They're maybe pirates or scoundrels or weird dark scientists, uh, you know, using dark magic. Uh, secrets only the Sith knew. Uh, you know, there's something to it. It just and, and so Dex, you know, money's and that works. And he and he knows. Um, by the way, I, I love the idea that Dex accidentally like stopped in Camino to fill up a gas tank at some point <laughs> and learned a lot about him. Just hello, who are you? You guys got any sandwiches here? That's a great scene. Um, I love it. I love that he. We, we don't necessarily get the answer. The conversation is going to go on. We're going to talk about that, but just like I, it's like he's telling Kenobi, "Oh, you don't even know what you're up against, do you?" You don't even have that. You have you don't even have that knowledge, let alone the wisdom of what to do, go deal with. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like the uh, the shade that it adds to his character that he isn't just lovable and silly. That he's that that chuckle is kind of like I know how rough the galaxy is. Good luck. <laughs> Absolutely, it's like I've seen some beep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but then just for like the story and the themes of Star Wars. Mm. Uh, you know, emphasizing, I think this ominous chuckle on pocketbook really emphasizes this dark truth that the, that greed makes the galaxy go round, you know? And I think you can, you can dig into it in lots of different places in Star Wars, but the prequel trilogy, it is such an important theme to Lucas. He brings it up in interviews. And if you watch the prequels with just greed on your mind, you hear the word again and again, you see how it pops up again and again. That's why the crawl starts with, you know the what some people think is the boring taxation of trade routes because it's about greed uh, and about how how deadly greed can be it's such a central theme of the prequels and i think this is yet another place to emphasize it of like a deck saying like hey jedi friend i know you're you're trying to solve a mystery and answer some jedi questions and you're trying to figure out who's trying to assassinate who but remember whatever stone you turn over you're going to find greed and you should remember that. Uh, yeah. And it's almost slightly, there's a cynical bent. Maybe I don't, I don't think Dexter's an t- overly cynical guy, but there's a little bit of just like, I love that you tied it to pocketbook. Now that's, that's a real deep theme of, uh, you know, money rules this place. Don't you know, you know that you're going to face it. Yeah. Don't forget it. Yeah. So then the scene concludes with Obi-Wan smiling at Dex, turning the dart around in his hands and saying, Hmm. And then we wipe to the Jedi archives for Obi-Wan to continue his investigation. So, Ken, how do you think the rest of the scene goes? What do Obi-Wan and Dex talk about as they finish their Jawa juice? I think there's maybe a couple more beats of business. Maybe, uh, so what's going on, old buddy? But then I, I think shortly after that, I think Dex, number one, I think Flo's like, hey, someone ordered a, someone ordered a Ronto burger. And I, but I think at some point, Dex just says, oh, buddy, let's put aside business. How are you doing? What's been going on? <laughs> I, I think they have a friendly conversation. 
Yeah, I think that the the, the conversation turns. I think Obi-Wan maybe asks Dex a little bit about how the business is going and uh, maybe hears about uh, uh, somebody who uh, stole some space muffins and Dex jokingly asks, like, uh, maybe maybe you could use your Jedi skills and track them down for me, the muffin thief. Um, I, I, I don't know if this would actually happen, but I really, really like the idea that... Uh, that Obi-Wan, that exactly as you're saying, Dex would kind of pry and Obi-Wan would open up a little bit about the stress of trying to raise and, and train Anakin, you know? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And if there's any any version, any galactic version of uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I think Dex has been involved in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, there's probably a couple Dex juniors running around. Um, yeah, I think they have that. I, I think Obi-Wan's like, are you still uh, you and Hermione? Oh, no, that didn't work out. <laughs> so I don't hold it against her. We get along great. She's here working. Yeah. <laughs> I think that is an absolute for sure. Uh, so we went all the way through the the scene. Uh, we want to have some kind of conclusion and wrap up questions here as well, Ken. What do you think of all the diner patrons in the background? As we were going through it line by line, I didn't want to stop to annotate them all because I wanted to stay on the conversation and the aesthetics. But it's a big part of the scene. All these different diner patrons uh, wandering through the background. Uh, what do you think of them? Do you have favorites? I no, I, I love. I'm convinced it's uh, like Rats Terrell's aunt is leaving the the uh, Lenian that's walking out. Um, I love it because it's it's very intentional in a way, and it might just be like, hey, we got this tech. Let's just toss a bunch of patrons in there because they're not they're not they're not all just sitting there, right? Like the dog getting up and kind of moving. You see it. It it it, it takes your focus off the, the scene for a second yep. in, in a great way. Um, plus, you know, Hey, we're coming off of, uh, Sebulba, So it's kind of immediately you're like, Hey, wait a minute. Um, then you realize Obi-Wan didn't have a lot of contact with Sebulba, uh, the Rodians. And I mentioned like, I, I, the, 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 the human woman, uh, behind them, behind Dex, just in that, the black dress, she's got like a big, like 1950s sci-fi kind of hunger games, you know, hat. <laughs> There's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of, you know, Lena, some Rodians, some Dugs, uh, some humans with weird hats, a lot of humans yeah. with weird hats. Yeah, and I, t- I love it. I, I love the way she's just eating and just just staring out like it's a sunny day. She's got to get back to work. Um, that all kind of works for me. So, uh, but my favorite is the the the, the Alenian kind of leaving. Now that we know a little bit more of uh, Rats's history and the family and the, the death of Rats Terrell, she, she's you know I, I choose to believe she's connected in some way. Yeah, there is a little wobble as the Alina is walking out. Do yep. you think the Alina is? Uh, been having some uh, afternoon alcoholic beverages, or do you think the Alina misses the step a little? <laughs> I think column A, column B, that Java <laughs> juice, that'll get you. That'll get it's you. hard. That's yeah, fermented uh, hide, bantha hide. Yeah, I love to see the Doug walking because uh, uh, it is. It's really just it centers you it's so pedestrian you see it crossing one way and just as your mind's like hey where'd that dog go then they go exactly where they should be <laughs> uh continuing their walk uh, from the other perspective I, I like that yeah it's a mix of aliens that we know from classic original trilogy with the rodians uh and then we have oh, hey look sabalba's not just like this one uh alien who pod races these people are all over the galaxy and here's some more well, I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no, that works for me too. Because you and I talk about a lot about uh, characters, species coming back, and other parts of Star Wars kind of validating the the prequels. Well, this is like Episode Two validating Episode One. <laughs> years later. Like, hey, exactly, no, they're part of this world. 
Yeah, and I I've never focused on her as much, but I couldn't stop looking at um weird human hat lady in the nice black dress who yeah really is just finishing food and I kind of like some of the weird hat humans sometimes. I used to be disappointed like give me weird aliens, but now I kind of like you know you just see the weird hat humans and you don't know is like is that a fashion choice of the day? Is that the outfit for where you work? Is that a part of your culture? You don't know what it is, and it's so great. It's it's almost she's really fancy. You know who knows what she's working. I. I I think maybe she also went to Canto Bite at one point, and that's the dress she had one dress there. You know, uh, there's just a lot, lot, to, lot to dig into there. Uh, yeah, it sure is. A lot of great uh, diner patrons uh, from the stumbling Alina to the lady with the weird hat and a lot on her mind. Here's the most obvious, simple question I have ever asked you, Ken. Would you want to hang out at Dexter's Diner? I uh, am almost disappointed the Galaxy's Edge wasn't set in the Coco <laughs> District. Um I I want to experience this in the worst way. I want I want a Dex figure that's a six inch black series scale behind the the kitchen window. Uh, give me Hermione. Give me a, a WA seven. Give me that whole sequence. I want a, like a Dexter's Diner Lego playset. <laughs> I want to go to Dexter's Diner in any way I can. Yeah, you know, having had the fortune to to have gone to a couple of like pop up events, uh, particularly for Twin Peaks, where they try to recreate a little bit of a vibe of going to one of those places, and then Galaxy's Edge. I would so love to go to a pop up that it just is Dexter's Diner. Uh, I I would absolutely adore sitting there. It's 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 it, like we said, is Greasy Spoon, you know, down to earth, but it also just looks really pleasant. It's aesthetically pleasing. Those nice, comfy uh, red booths and the cool chrome everywhere. I would love to sit in there and drink Java juice and work on some writing. Uh, mm-hmm. um, it was one of my uh, goals uh, right before the pandemic that I'm going to go out in the world and I'm just going to sit at bars and fun coffee shops and uh, great cocktail lounges and and write a little bit more out in public and just watch, do some people watching. And, oh, man, I want to do that at Dexter's Diner so bad. So bad. So So, do you want Dex to appear in the Kenobi series? I I don't, uh, unless it's a great flashback. Uh, I don't. I don't need him to. But I'm dying to have him referenced. I'm dying to have, get know a little bit more about this relationship, get some, get some of our uh, our headcanon questions answered. Um but uh, but maybe maybe that's who uh, Camille's playing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that there'd definitely be a, you know uh, that'd be a big swing, and people have a lot of opinions about it since we've established this is a, a scene that people feel strongly about. I I would certainly like a Dex like character. Uh, it's not Dex himself. Like I think Kenobi has a network of people like this across the galaxy, especially after the Clone Wars, of you yeah. know old buddies who who he knows have their finger on the pulse of something. You know, I would not be surprised to see any of those many wonderful actors that have been announced uh, play some down-to-earth person uh, that Kenobi could get information from. If Dex appeared, I really, I like the idea that Dex has had a million lives. He thought he was retiring with the diner. Then things got real bad on Coruscant and Dex got out. So is Dex in a different situation and would people accept that more if it if he if he went back to prospecting you know and kenobi's uh making his way to face vader and he's hiding out on some desolate awful moon down in some you know actual like tunnel and what do you know there's dex 
Well, what do you know? You found me, old Kenobi. Call me Ben. What? I knew a Ben once. <laughs> right. Old Ben, that'd be a good name for a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I'm not going to put any money on seeing Dex in the Kenobi series, but I think there'd be some way to do it. But if not, I definitely want to see and hear some more of Dex. Somewhere storytelling, definitely in plastic action figure in Lego form. So, Ken, now that we've gone through it all, uh, the seriousness of it, the fun of it, the debate of it, what's your summary of this scene? What is it about? Why do you like it? This is about the value of wisdom over knowledge. Now, throwing knowledge out, you need to have it. It's how you use it, and it's key to this. The characters in Star Wars, it's key to the Jedi right now. Uh, this may be the heart of Attack of the Clones right here right now but no seriously it is about that it is about uh the allies we seek the information we gather and who do we trust yeah well said to me you know repeating what you said i think it is definitely about the the value of wisdom over knowledge that is just you know concretely what it's about that's uh, the bit of insight that kenobi gets to get his cool noir detective mission kick-started but I also think it really is about the Obi-Wan character. It's about w- what he values. It's about how he sees the galaxy. It's about the possibility of of having friends, that Jedi are not just all uh, isolated and serious, that they do have friends, they do have contact with the rest of the galaxy, and they should, you know? I think it's about Obi-Wan thinking outside the box. It's yet another moment where he doesn't just trust what the analysis droids right. uh, tell him. He thinks outside of the box and does something different. And perhaps more than anything, I think this scene is just a tribute to diners. (laughs) It really is just a tribute of like, uh, diners are really great, right? When they have this specific vibe of this, you know, fun, friendly, maybe a little dirty place that has been there forever, but you can trust it. And you're so right. It just makes me want to go to a diner right now. I really want to go. And there's several choices. Soon enough, uh, he'll hear uh, Rock Around the Clock play on the jukebox while I have a club sandwich. <laughs> exactly. Last thing, uh, you you name-checked him uh, or mentioned him, but I want to be sure to name-check the great uh, actor who did the voice for Dexter Jester, Ron Falk, right? Yeah, Ron Falk, Australian actor, passed away in 2016, and I did try to, for this episode today, I I was trying to look up some information, and not a lot of photos that I could find. There should be some out there, but the one photo I found, that's him and two other guys in a a movie, and and, uh, you look at the picture, and they're all older gentlemen, and you're like, if if anyone in this picture voiced uh, Dexter, it's this guy, and then you realize... Correct. It's that guy. (laughs) Big, round, happy, bushy, bearded face. And it looks and feels like Dexter. Yeah. And just the choices, right? The, hey, oh, but like you can, you can get caught up in it all and forget that an actor made these choices that gave so much personality to this character. Uh, Love him, hate him, like him, tolerate him, whatever. Uh, He was given a ton of life by this actor. Absolutely. So here's to you, Ron Falk. You've inspired our entire episode. That's right. We we tip our Jawa juices to you. Uh, Ken, do you want to let people know where they can find us? It would be my pleasure. We 
are on Twitter at Four Center Pod. We're on Instagram and YouTube as well. Facebook page is Four Center Podcast. Podcasts available in a lot of different spots, including Anchor, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Merch is available at tpublic.com slash user slash Four Center. And you can support us directly at patreon.com slash Force Center. Uh, you can follow me at Cadnapsock or go to my website, Cadnapsock.com, and try out uh, the Empire Fund we're building over at the GPA.fund. Joseph. Yeah, you can find me Twitter and Instagram at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can check out my website, josephscrimshaw.com, for all the other things I'm doing, including uh, this week, the episode of my other podcast, Obsessed, is a discussion between myself and my wife, Sarah, about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So if you're interested in that, check it out. There is a link on my website at josephscrimshaw.com. But for now, for myself, for Ken, and most importantly, for Hermione Bagwa, this has been Force Center. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.